This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to the Unsuckable Pod. I am your host, Manuel Fate, and as always, I'm joined by Adrian Souza. Adrian, how's it going, bud? It's going well. It's been a blitz for all of us, I think. Um, mm. But, you know, it's been a while that we haven't actually spoken on the podcast. So it's nice to get everyone back together. Great to hear you guys' voices again, and not through just either a podcast or a uh, video form. Well, I guess this is podcast form technically, but at least we're actually interacting with each other now. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's been... A crazy few weeks we finally get a little bit of a breather to record a podcast um as the world cup is taking a break um so it's it's good to get together um and it's all of us today so let me bring in our next host josh josh how's it going bud you enjoying the world cup i am and i don't want to sound too canadian but i did get seven out of seven of my tim's picks so i just went to tim horton's got a got a free coffee for a week so honestly how can i complain here is how you identify an East Coast Canadian by knowing that they go to Tim Hortons. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What, what is a Tim's picks? <laughs> you, get, you get a Tim, Tim Hortons has an app. You get to pick uh, hockey players a score every day. And if you get a certain amount right, you get Timmy's points to, you know, go towards free food or free coffee. And if you get seven picks in a row, seven days in a row, you win coffee for a week. So, oh man, yeah. who was bringing you all that coffee then? Who was the who was the scorer that you chose so well? Uh, I mean, last night for my my free week, they had Connor McDavid scoring against Arizona, so basically just handing me free coffee. So <laughs> he 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 led me quite quite a bit. But yeah, you should have picked Tage Thompson, Josh. I should have, but he wasn't. He, they give you a certain amount of options, and mm. usually they're Canadian players or Canadian teams, because uh, you know okay, well, we're Canadian. So I I I live on the West Coast. Um, you know, I have no idea what this is, but it sounds fantastic. And of course, Adrian, you're in Quebec. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure they have good coffee there too. Um, but then our next guy, Filippo, you will be just wondering what we even talk about. Hockey must be like just the actually, strangest thing in the universe. <laughs> actually, I haven't heard about hockey and, and Tim Horton since I lived in Buffalo, New York, which is probably the most Canadian-American city around. That's, right, where right Tage, the... that's where Tage Thompson just scored five goals in yeah, what, 10 I minutes mean, and 10 seconds of ice time. You go to Buffalo there, it's a, it's a, right at the border with Canada, right? Uh, like about two hours from Toronto. Mm. And I lived there for four years and there was a lot of hockey talk in that city because of the Buffalo Sabres. And when I went to college there, there was a Tim Hortons on campus. So I was pretty much living someone like an American Canada for four years. And it was cold, very cold. So just to hear you guys talk about that gave me some some memories of Buffalo, New York right there, even though it's technically not Canada, uh, Niagara Falls. 
well, Josh, you know this probably better than any of us, but Detroit and Buffalo are like extensions of Canada when it comes to hockey. One hundred percent. From the weather, just the experiences, and uh, yeah, and from where. So I wait, live, did I live in Canada then? Technically? Yeah, pretty much. I would say yeah. I'd say Buffalo is closer to a Canadian city than an American. Just a Dude, yeah, deal. and I would I would cross the border, um, Niagara Falls, and everything. Go to the other side, and I'm just like, well, it, it still feels like I'm in Buffalo, or or technically, when I go back, it still feels like I'm in Canada. Yeah. Well, anyways, this is not 32 Thoughts, the hockey podcast. This is actually unsuckable. So <laughs> enough about hockey. Hey, guys, what do you guys, um, and I, I'm going to go to each of one of you. Adrian, you first. What's your takeaway from the World Cup so far? The one takeaway that you have. The one takeaway for me would be that I think it's been exciting. I think it's been really exciting. Like if you can look past all of the politics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and look at it just with a narrow mind, with your blinders on, looking at the football, I think that it's been very exciting with how the group stage played out. I think that a lot of people got their predictions wrong for the two teams that were advancing from each group. Quarterfinals, or sorry, round of 16, maybe a little bit less so, but I think that the football was still really exciting. So I've personally been really enjoying watching and covering this World Cup throughout. I thought that it was going to be a little bit more sluggish and we did see that in some matches especially early in the group stage there was a lot of nil nils there was a lot of nil nil at halftime that we had to put up with but i think from maybe the second match day onward it's been really exciting what about you josh i mean for, for me every world cup has like you know the, the the fairy tale type story and for me uh it's morocco and it, it honestly that mm. stadium against when they played spain gave me vibes of when ghana was playing in South Africa, just obviously like, you know, the African team, everyone is around them. I know that we're technically in Asia, but Morocco is an Arabic um, language. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what I've heard. Um, so I don't know if they're getting the backing that way as well, but it just seems like they're, they're, they're the talk of the town. Um, they're playing incredible. And the fact that, I mean, cover, cause I covered Morocco a little bit before the tournament started, just trying to get like a, you know, mm. an idea of what they were. And I knew how good they were, but they had a manager that, they didn't like they had Ziyech and Masrawi who weren't in and a couple other players as well so a lot of uh I saw, saw a compilation of a lot of uh um predictions and a lot of people put Morocco in fourth place in that group because the uncertainty all of a sudden a new manager comes in the stars return they haven't conceded a goal I mean they conceded one own goal against Canada but they've been absolutely fantastic and it seems like you know they're the darlings of the tournament and it just I know that there's been a lot of criticism around the tournament, but to see the atmosphere of that Morocco Spain game was I don't know, it just gave me flashbacks to twenty ten and that was my favorite tournament. Mm. Mina is the, the region, right? Um and we had Morocco third, Josh. Just wanna point that out to you. To we did. Good for us. Good for yeah, us. Good for us. We were a little better than the rest. Still wrong though. Um Filippo, how about you? I think despite Qatar and FIFA trying to do everything in their power to make this the World Cup the worst World Cup in history. In terms of looking just at the games, I have really been enjoying it very much. Um, a lot of the upsets. I do think I, I came up with this theory that because we saw a lot of upsets in the group stage and then in the knockout rounds, they kind of went away, which begs the question, if Germany had gone through, they would probably make a deep run, would they or not? But I think what happened was the lack of preparation, the change in calendar kind of like helped um, take the level down for everyone, at least in the group stage. And now that the teams have gotten enough training sessions and games mm -hmm. and got it going, we're seeing less upsets, right, outside of Morocco. But overall, I thought the World Cup has been very good in terms of the game being played, right? As Adrian said, the circumstances surrounding it, that's a different discussion. I don't think that will ever be good of mm -hmm. how we got to this point. 
but I, I've been enjoying the World Cup a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's been. I mean, I thought the football has been bad at times, um, but people like to overlook that, and I think. I'm also a little disappointed how a lot of journalists have kind of dropped the ball on the stories that are going on. Although I've seen a few reports now that suggest that not all is well in Qatar, which is good. I think they need to need to stay on that. Um, but yeah, I, I make a good point about Germany. I think if they had gone out of the group, then maybe things would look a little bit different. But at the same time, maybe they deserve uh, or need, maybe German football as a whole needs this to um, shake it up a little bit. But probably going to talk about that in a moment when we talk about coaches but like let's let's go through these these quarterfinals and um we're, we're getting started again on friday uh croatia against brazil filippo um is the first match nervous we were talking before the podcast about how croatians are not quite human <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> i'm always i'm always nervous for any world cup games of brazil or the united states playing um, I would be lying to you if I said I expect Croatia to beat Brazil. I think Brazil has a couple advantages that we could talk about. First, first of all, Brazil has more talent right now than Croatia, mm -hmm. more depth. I don't think there's any doubt of that. Mm -hmm. Outside of the midfield, right, with Brozovic, Motru, uh, Brozovic Kovacic, and Modric, uh, that right there, Croatia is probably better than Brazil, actually. Their midfield is better, but... When you go to the forwards, defense, goalkeeper, I think there's a clear advantage to Brazil. Um, I think also we talked about this. I, I think Croatia might gas out. They've been playing every single game, their players, extra time, while Brazil has kind of been cruising so far, right? They rested everyone against Cameroon. Then we played South Korea. The game was done in the first half. Uh, I think Brazil has an advantage. I don't think the, the thing with Croatia is I don't see this game being easy either. That's why I said in my video that I think it's, it's going to be somewhat between one or two zero Brazil. It'll be tough. I don't think Croatia will score also with the forwards they have. Uh, they are missing Mandzukic from 2018. Mm -hmm. But again, this Croatian side is, is one of those teams that every time you think they're done, that they're beaten and they're going out, they find a way to go through. And I, we talked about it before, right? How Lukaku if he knew how to finish during the World Cup, if he didn't pull a 2014 Iguain impression, Croatia probably wouldn't be here. But it doesn't matter. They're here. And they find a way. And they go through. And against Japan, it looked like they were going to go down at some point. And here they are. They go through. Mm. So if Brazil doesn't bring on their A game, it could be a loss. And, and I don't even think it's an upset for sure. But if Brazil doesn't bring their A game, it's not even that big of an upset. Yeah, that's what I think. I don't. I don't think it would be an upset. Um, I think Brazil sh sure have the better talent, and um, on paper should be going through. But man, Croatians are tough as nails. Um, they are so hard to play against, and they do have a striker, Filippo and Um That's no Mandzukic, though. That's no Mandzukic. No, he, he might be. I don't know, man. Typical that guy. That guy in twenty eighteen. Mandzukic, I don't know. That guy was is I I still say he's one of the most underrated players I've watched because no one gave a crap about him. I know he played for big clubs, but no one oh, ever he, talked about Mandzukic. He guided Bayern to the the triple. Yeah, yeah, but but it just it just like it's just one of those players that it seems like no one cared. It's mm. kind of crazy to me because of how good he actually was. Mm. Any thoughts? Any of you other guys, Adrian, Josh, want to jump in? Any thoughts on this one in particular? 
Yeah, I mean, I have. I thought that Croatia was going to top the group coming into this tournament. I have a lot of respect for how they, you know, they went through the Nations League, topping that group above Denmark and France, playing incredibly well. Uh, their run in 2018, they obviously have the pedigree to make a deep run in mm-hmm. any tournament against anybody, obviously. But I do feel like it might just be a bridge too far for this group at this moment and their luck might run out a bit. Basically, like I was saying prior to the podcast was how they're very lucky facing a Lukaku who had his shoes on the wrong feet. Um, basically, because that was just ridiculous, the chances he was missing, and they would have been out there. They fought well to get back into the game against Japan. You know, this is a Japanese team that beat Germany and Spain in the group stage, so you, there are no slouches. Lavakovic was great in the shootout, but I think that I think that Lavakovic is going to have to be like Thibaut Courtois, 2018, Belgium, Brazil sort of levels against this Brazilian side to give them a really good chance. And I just worry about their defense a little bit because they have shown that they do give up opportunities. To Canada, they didn't. I mean, Canada came close to equalizing at one or not equalizing. Um, sorry, I'm getting my 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 games mixed up now. I'm already thinking of Morocco, Portugal. That's where my head's at. It's Canada that came close against Morocco. Um, but in the group stage, sorry, Croatia against Belgium, that was a close call. Against Morocco, they were pretty good. Against Canada, they completely exploited Canada's tactics. They did great mm-hmm. there, and they looked the most efficient in that game. But we haven't seen that efficiency in the attack with them since then. Um, so I do worry about that coming up against this very good Brazilian defense that didn't even concede a shot on target for against Serbia or Switzerland. They only conceded shots on target against, uh, was it Cameroon in that third game when they heavily rotated? And then they, of course, conceded that goal against South Korea, which was just a banger from outside. So well, I... But yeah. Adrian, just that, that goal against South Korea, Brazil had completely tuned out of that game too. Oh, like- yeah. So there's that. It was 4-0 at halftime, and they they had taken the gas off completely. But um, I think that it's definitely advantage Brazil going into this. But again, there's that that sort of magic to this Croatian side, sort of like when we speak about Real Madrid, and it always looked like they would be down and out in the Champions League. Croatia seems to have that tournament magic to them as well, where you can't count them out completely because there's always going to be a chance based on that, that grit that they have. Mm. Yeah, they're also a horse that only needs to jump as high as it needs to. Um, so there's that. It's going to be an interesting one. Um, Josh, the next game is going to be really interesting as well. Netherlands against Argentina. Did you guys see the press conference from Louis van Gaal today? I'm surprised the, the moral police in Qatar didn't arrest him. I don't know. Do you want to explain to the ones who did not see it? Because I, I didn't, I didn't see right, it yet. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let me just pull this up. Van Gaal. Di Maria calling me the worst manager he's ever had? Question mark. He's one of the few players with his opinion. I'm really sorry about this and I find it sad. He said this. Memphis had to deal with it too at Manchester and now we kiss each other on the mouth. Oh my. Oh, that, that's <laughs> prison time in Qatar. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they didn't show it. They didn't do it. So maybe, you know, maybe... Speaking you should have in... seen uh you should have seen Memphis Depay's face because he was sitting right next to him. Because oh, Louis man. Louis van Hall is the manager of this tournament already, right, Josh? I I I mean, maybe Moroccan's manager could uh you know maybe argue that just because of the turnaround, but in terms of you know, kind of going into the tournament, what we were expecting, I think Van Hall coming back to a tournament like this and and being able to get this Dutch team playing in a style that I mean they're openly not comfortable with we've heard van dyke talk about it but you know he, he gets his side to buy in i thought they looked a little like i don't know i don't know what the word is. maybe sluggish through the group stage but they had a pretty pretty easy group and then they basically had to take on the u.s with you know i, I thought they were the better side so i don't know i think that's is honestly probably their 
it is their biggest competition. This is an opportunity to see what really what this Dutch team is made of because they have spurts of brilliance, but I don't know really if, if they've left second gear. I don't know if you guys have anything to say about that, but I feel like this is going to be the opportunity to see how far this Dutch team is going to go and if they're able to step up to it. The NBA season is heating up and there is still so many unknowns, like whether the Golden State Warriors will even make the playoffs this year. When I'm looking to get into the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out right now. Everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. I actually just won a same-game parlay the other day, so if I can do it, you can too. Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. Place $5 pregame Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of tactical yanks, and it's been great. One reason it's been great to listen to, because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge, trust me. Raycons give you 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycons Everyday Earbuds have over 50,000 5-star reviews. Raycon Earbuds have three sound profiles so you can have a personalized listening experience, as well as an awareness mode where you can hear the world around you. Whether you're doing the most intense exercise or just sitting around, Raycon Earbuds are perfect for you. Go to buyraycon.com slash tbpn today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash tbpn to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash tbpn. Yeah, Manuel, I think that you actually tweeted that they're only jumping as high as they needed to, basically. Yeah. That's sort of the feeling that you get when you're watching Netherlands because you know that they're so capable of much, much more. And I think that... With the return of Memphis Depay now and the attack, I think that the attack is sorted out because that was sort of not no, not so much misfiring in the first couple of matches, but they're having trouble generating chances. They're very, very efficient with the ones that they got. I think they scored like with their first, you know, two or three shots on target in the entire mm-hmm. tournament or something like that. They're incredibly efficient in those first few matches. But now that Memphis is in there, there's a genuine threat when he couples up with Gakpo or Bergvine when he comes on. Their wing backs are playing incredibly well. Their defense is solid. The one question mark is that it sort of seems like in the midfield, it's Diong plus, is it going to be Coop Miners? Is it going to be Berghaus? Is it going to be Martin Darun? It seems like that's the one area you could look to as perhaps not so much unsettled, but with a question mark over it at the moment. But the rest of it, like Josh was alluding to, I'm really interested in seeing, and like you said in your tweet, how high they'll jump in this match against Argentina. Because if we also want to sort of move on to Argentina as well, I think that they've been getting gradually better as the tournament goes on. But there were moments against Australia, one of the surprises of the tournament, where you could see Australia getting back into this. Like, yes, Australia's goal was 
fortunate in that it cannoned off of Enzo Fernandez's face. But you could also look at the goal that Argentina scored that was very fortunate in that Matty Ryan made that big mistake. So beyond Messi's brilliance in that match and DePaul was really good, I thought as well. That was a much closer game. So this one for me is the one that has the big question mark over it as far as the quarterfinals matchups goes. Yeah, I think that I think it was quite interesting that the Netherlands against the US game. Um, I'm pretty sure Philippe, you have some thoughts on this too, but I felt that the Netherlands were only doing what they needed to do, and then they scored their two goals right, um, finished it pretty easily, um, and then the US scored one, and then the Dutch were like, "Oh yeah, we should probably finish this game off," and just five minutes later, made it three one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the goal we scored, the U.S. also, how the heck did that even go in, right? The Hajirek yeah. goal. Um, I don't think anyone was... We, they should have gotten a clean sheet against the U.S. It probably should have been like 2-0 the game. It was a great goal, by the way. It was like a hockey goal. Wait, wait not not the Hajirek one. That, that the one. right goal, yeah. It was like a hockey goal. That was a Jassi Zardes goal, actually. But, <laughs> but no, I, I mean, it was... I think the problem with the game was... Netherlands already was better than the U.S. on paper. They have better players, right? The gap is definitely smaller than it's been in the past, but they, there still is a gap. And you add the fact that Greg Berhalter, what's new, got out coached by Louis van Gaal as expected. Yeah, I think that's actually the biggest fact here, Philip. Well, Probably. The gap on talent level isn't that high. I think what, where the big gap is is in defense. I think the Dutch have the best defense in this tournament. They have, and, and Burhalter played Burhalter ball, and Louis van Gaal literally called him out in the press conference. He pushes his, his fullbacks high up the field on his positional play, and Louis van Gaal was like, I'm going to exploit the flanks in transition. And, and the Dutch did that, and almost every goal was like that. Like, literally, his game plan worked. Um, and he called out Greg Burhalter in the press conference. So yeah. uh, the Dutch, I think it's what we all have been saying, what you guys have been saying. They've been doing just what they needed to go through. But now they're going to fl- face a much better team than they have faced so far. Um, and they have to be careful. They're going to be facing Messi, that we've been seeing him in little moments. He's been been decisive for Argentina. Well, see, I, I think this Netherlands-Argentina one is also a 50-50 game. Uh, I don't think any of these two teams have faced a team at what of what they're about to face in the World Cup. So it's kind of hard to say how it's going to go. Yeah. Any thoughts on Argentina, Filippo? I think Argentina will advance on PKs. I think mm. it's it's going to be a draw and they'll advance on PKs. I don't know if Louis van Gaal will pull like another goalkeeper sub on, on before PKs. But I think Emi Martinez will be the difference maker there mainly. Uh, but but again, like I said, if I'm taking this game to PKs, that that means I'm, I'm just tossing a coin at this point. I'm really torn on this one because I think Louis van Gaal is the best manager left at this tournament. Um, I know Josh, you made an argument about the Moroccan manager, but it's just thinking on a tactical level, Louis van Gaal is just be above and beyond anyone else. Um, yeah, like no, I, I agree. Like on a tactical, level, I just meant like meant like in terms of the yeah. job, like at hand, the is achievement, like, right? Yeah, 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 makes sense. Um, no, I just thought like in terms of, and I'm, I just wonder if this is going to be Louis van Gaal out coaching Argentina. Have you guys had any thoughts on this? Wait, say it again? Louis van Gaal what? It's going to out-coach Argentina. You think so? Wait, is that just a report or just like a random thought? No, that's just a random thought. I mean, I it could work. Argentina has good... I, I would say 
Argentina has better players than Netherlands, more options at least, at least on the forwards, right? Yeah, but um, the Netherlands have the better defense, maybe even midfield. Um, maybe Enzo Fernandez has stepped up there. I think I think the midfield was probably balanced, but yeah, defense. I have no doubt that the, the Dutch might even have the best defense in the World Cup. That's what I think. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Um, I, let's wa- let's see this game. I think it's more likely that Louis van Gaal outcoaches Scaloni. Uh, yeah, that's but as long as as long as Scaloni doesn't get outcoached, it's like balanced. I think Argentina has a very good shot, a very good shot. But if he gets outcoached, it could be a problem. The thing is, it's Argentina and and the Dutch. They're two teams that don't really have like a a big weakness, right? That you can exploit. That's the tricky part of facing these teams. There's no clear weakness. Mm. Their yeah. weakness is Portugal. That's their weakness. And Portugal they don't weakness face is Ronaldo. <laughs> I think Portugal has beaten Netherlands like the last three or four times they faced each other. It's like uh, it's like the Germany Portugal dynamic. It's just like an automatic win for uh, for Portugal when they. It's also always lots of red cards. Yes, we want that <laughs> battle of Nuremberg again. <laughs> um, let's talk about Morocco Portugal then. Portugal with the perfect best performance perhaps in that round of 16 adrian so all you had to do was bench ronaldo right (laughs) yeah i mean that's certainly part of it that's it definitely felt like fernando santos is going down with with a fight and he's sort of saying like you know what i've sort of shied away from doing this which is benching ronaldo for so long he's going to give gonzalo ramos a chance which he did and he also he had a more attacking lineup he didn't put Ruben Neves in there who just sits in front of the defense and will stand in front of them and not really do anything he put William Carvalho in there who over the last two seasons or so since I think since under since playing under Pellegrini at Real Betis he's really improved as a number eight and how he offers so much more than just sitting back collecting the ball passing sideways we see him running on the ball more we see him making more vertical passes so that definitely helped and just an overall more attacking attacking uh, lineup and really going at this Swiss back line and I think that I was a little bit shocked, and I'm sure that Filippo was as well, to see just how that Swiss defense fell apart because they're typically pretty tight. Um, and maybe they were just only planning to face a Portuguese side that had Cristiano Ronaldo in it, which is much easier to contain in the attack than one where you have Jean Felix making all of these crazy runs, Bernardo Silva buzzing around, Bruno running everywhere. And then you have Gonzalo Ramos, this young 21-year-old who doesn't just stand in the middle and wait for the ball. He's making dynamic runs. He's dropping short. He's all over the place. So it was nice to see Portugal finally play a brand of football that I think a lot of us have been waiting a long, 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 long time to see because we know that they're capable. Anyone can go through their team sheet and say, wow, that's one of the more talented sides at this World Cup, but they play like a mid-tier side whenever there's a certain someone on the pitch or because of the manager who's wanting us to play defensive, you know, dual pivot type football. Well, Adrian, it also comes down to the moment you stop playing for one player and you start playing for your team, the team looks a lot better, right? When Ronaldo's on the pitch, everyone is just like, it almost seems like, he demands the ball and they have to find him and yeah. he's not as effective as he used to be. And then when Gonzalo Ramos was there, um, Hamush actually, it, it, it really just started to look like an actual team because they don't have to give him the ball. They're just playing all together. It looked much more fluid. It looked like an actual team that can compete for a World Cup. And if they 
as long as they continue to bench Ronaldo and just have him off the bench, even though I don't, I'm starting to question if he's even useful off, off the bench nowadays. Yeah. When you have a player like Rafael Leão off the bench, that's better than him right now. Uh, but again, it took Fernando Santos long enough. But but again, if he if he hadn't done that, I don't even know if Portugal will make it this far. But yeah, I agree. We'll I don't know that they would have beat Switzerland because I think that Switzerland is one of those teams that is just an absolute bother to play against. But you're right. When you start playing players for the benefit of the entire team, as opposed to for the benefit of the output of a single player, then of course you're going to get much better results. So the one fear that I have going into this Morocco game is that Fernando Santos is going to revert back to starting Ronaldo. If he does, to me, that's one of the most ridiculous things and it's an absolute insult to Gonzalo Ramos who comes in here and scores a hat trick on his full debut so I'm nervous playing against this Moroccan side let's get into Morocco now because Walid Regragui has proven to be as Josh said one of the best managers at this tournament and also he's fresh off of winning the CAF Champions League isn't he so he just won the Champions League in Africa. He's coming in. He's organized this side. He has Hakim Ziyech playing out of his mind. I think Amrabat, for me, has been the biggest sort of revelation at this tournament. I mean, I knew of him at Fiorentina, but the way that he is playing in the midfield for Morocco, it's it sort of gives me, obviously, different playing styles, but it gives me that same sort of dominant feeling as we saw when Ingolo Kante was really dominating for France and it felt like he was everywhere and nobody could shake him off and he would always get a touch on the ball, making interceptions. So I think that Morocco is going to be a little bit scary. Um, the one area that they are sort of struggling in, I think, is just their output in offense a little bit. I think that the striker position especially, and the city has sort of flattered to deceive. Shedri had two good chances coming on against Spain, but he fluffed both of them. So I think that that's the one area where... They need to really take their chances against Portugal in order to have a chance. And I'm also, last thing I'll say before I pass it on, I'm curious to see what happens to Morocco if Portugal does get that first goal. Because we haven't seen Morocco fall behind yet at this tournament. And for them to chase a result, that will get interesting to see if their defense opens up a little bit more. Yeah, no, that's a, a great point. Um what I liked, and you kind of touched on it, what I wanted to touch on as well is the fact that, you know, there wasn't a lot of expectations around this Morocco side just because of the turmoil of the national team before um, the change of management. But I, I just like that he, he just, he went easy. He he basically, I had um I had a Moroccan on and he covers the, uh, as a journalist and he covers the team. And he said, basically, like, he's just sticking with one system. So, like, don't expect a lot of, like, tactical flexibility. Like, it's 4-3-3. He didn't have a lot of time with the national team. He trying to get his best players on. It's why you see Masraoui playing at left back. He basically just did the basics and he's done them really well. Uh, but like you said, I agree with both points. I mean, Endaziri to me is like pretty much the only striker who should play. I, I, I He's a decent finisher when the opportunity is there. But other than that, I think they would struggle to score goals without him. Um, they struggle to struggle score goals with them. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I mean, I feel like when I, when I did a prediction for the Morocco and Spain one, I just... It screamed zero zero draw. I don't I don't know if any of you guys got the same vibes before kickoff, but I was like, to me, like Spain love passing the ball around. They don't like doing a lot with it. They don't have a proper number nine with no disrespect to Maratta. And that's pretty much exactly what we saw. So I didn't even really think of it that way. It's a, it's a great point. Like if if there's a goal early in that, how does Morocco change and are they able to adapt? And if not, then maybe we could see another 
not a bloodbath because I just think that Morocco is too sturdy defensively, but they can maybe get away with them pretty early if they get a quick one. I just wonder, Adrian, um, how is Santos going to deal with the Ronaldo situation in this game? Because I, I, I mean, I, I've written an article before this season when Bayern Munich were heavily linked to him, right? And all the things that you said are 100% correct. Like he actually makes teams worse, not better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's statistical and underlying evidence for that, right? That that's been the case since his Juventus days, actually. So, but the problem is if you're not playing him, like, he walks off the field in this game, right? Against Switzerland without celebrating with the, the fans. Um, he's going to make it all about him. So how do you deal with this? I don't know. I, I don't think that any manager... Well, it's sort of uncharted territory, isn't it? Because this is the first time where we're starting to face a Ronaldo who... I mean, he's always had an ego. He's always yeah. been big-headed, etc. He's always demanded that he play. And at the time, his actual play on the pitch justified it. You know, you could look past it because he was producing. But once he starts slowing down, once he can only score goals in open play against Everton and Sheriff Tiraspol then it becomes a big problem because it's not just Ronaldo and his attitude that you have to put up with, but it's a circus of all of his sisters getting in on it on social media. It's his his agents and Piers Morgan now, and it just creates this big, for lack of a better word, shitstorm, basically. Um, and I think that Fernando Santos is sort of left with this quandary of, I have this guy who I know he shouldn't be playing, but yeah. otherwise the focus becomes completely on him when he doesn't play. I think that... To be honest with you, I think that a lot of the players realize now that, you know, they can look past all of this hijinks from Ronaldo, all of these like sideline things. Like, yes, he went and he applauded the fans after the game against Switzerland, but then he didn't stay on and celebrate with his teammates, which is unfortunate to say the least. So I think that... If I'm Santos, I just continue on. You continue having those conversations. To be fair to Ronaldo, he did say, I don't know if I personally believe it, he did say in that interview with Piers Morgan that if he could trade Portugal winning the World Cup without him scoring a single goal, then he would do it. I'll try to give him the benefit of the doubt and believe him when he says that. But so far from what we've seen on the sidelines, what we've heard from the training camp, the sorts of conversations that are happening, he doesn't seem too happy about it. But at least... From what we saw on the pitch from Portugal, all of the squad members seem to be on the same wave and moving in the right direction. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one to follow. Really curious to see how it all works out. Our final game is England against France or Filippo's favorite team against the team that potentially could beat his team in the final. My favorite team, England? I have nothing against England. Do you like them to see dancing? Oh, yeah. I mean, a good part of the UK media doesn't like dancing, apparently. Uh, I don't know why. It's Did just you like... See? Okay, so this is Roy Keane, right? This is Roy yeah. Keane. Yeah, he's Irish. I know that, but... You know, but like, did you it's see, the British media. Did you see, like, the, the celebrating dancing of his two co-commentators when England scored? No. And he just, like, turns around and takes notes? <laughs> Yeah, look, this guy thing, just doesn't like a good time. Come on, let's the, be honest. Here. The thing <laughs> is, it's not it's not just him. Like we saw also earlier this year when Vinicius would dance the Spanish media too. So it's I, it's, I like the dancing. Yeah, yes, I mean, it's my take. Like, and we had to live with this. This sounds like a lot like a hockey podcast. But Josh, you remember when Ovechkin came to the league and people were complaining that he was celebrating too much? 
give it a break. They're scoring goals in a sport where there's not many goals scored. Like, of course, you're going to celebrate it, right? Well, it's also it's also just like they talk about respecting a lot of crazy stuff from like Qatari culture. Why don't they respect the like the Brazilian culture is all about samba, having fun. Even one of our martial arts, capoeira, is literally a dance. Like, yeah. it's very common to dance. Ronaldinho, remember, he would score. He would do a little bit. It's just they're not doing it to mock the opponent. It's they celebrate if it's one zero, four zero. That's how it's done. Um and Chichi dancing the pigeon dance. It's just Richardson celebration is known as the pigeon. They need to just stop it and just leave it. If you don't want, it's like you said, it's hard to score. And if you don't want Brazil to dance, don't let them score. They won't dance if they don't well, score. Also, so, it's been part of the World Cup folklore forever. Remember in 1994, it was Romario, Bebeto, and who was the third guy? Um, yeah, that was when Bebeto, Bebeto had a kid and he did like yeah. the, yeah. That was great. That was one of the things that, like, that, you know, 1990 was my first World Cup, 1994 was my second. That's, like, burned into my memory. It's just that there's a part of the the media that they don't have what to say, and they, I guess they want the players to celebrate with handshakes or something. Yeah, um, just do handshakes when you celebrate. Thank you very much yeah. for the pass, sir. Uh, it's just, it's so harmless that I don't get why they pick on it. It's harmless. Like, and, Adrian, that's a great point. Roger Miller. Yeah. He had a hat trick, right, in 1990, and he would dance always. Yeah, like he wrote it in the chat. He's still muted. He's not not telling the story himself. <laughs> I didn't have much yeah. to say. I just wanted to bring that up as further ammo for you guys. You know, Pull, pulling strings behind the scenes here. But yeah, that's that's the thing. Is like it's not like there's no English players who don't dance. Look at Jesse Lingard, for example. He would dance all the time when he would score goals, and that's why he's no longer in the squad, right? That, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> that would engage me. <laughs> No, but I mean, it goes back to Roger Mila. I mean, people had no issues when Ronaldinho would go and do it. It's just, I don't know. It just screams of sour grapes. It just screams of the fun police coming through and wanting everyone to, uh, like like Philip said. That is true. The fun police do exist. But yeah, like Philip said, everyone should just, after they score a goal, just nod their head to each other, shake hands, and walk back to their position. Yeah, it's uh, also... It, they they completely forget that the whole sport is about entertainment, about having fun. It's not for everyone just to be always serious about it. It's about emotions and you score, you feel like dancing, go dance, go celebrate whichever way you want. As long as it's like harmless and you're not offending anyone. And I mean, sorry, if you, I mean, there's also levels to offending. If you get offended by a dance, then you are the problem, actually. Yeah, I think uh, so, too. Yeah. So is Kylian Mbappe going to dance a lot in this game? Because I think he will. Oh my God, he totally will, and I hope. And I'm not the I'm not a big Mbappe fan, but if if he scores, he better dance. Oh <laughs> um, man, and and I I really wish the final was England Brazil and England and Brazil would beat them in dancing. But like we talked about, I don't think England can make it that far. I think this is I I said this about the World Cup, and I'm keeping the, my same prediction. I thought England would lose to the first title contender they played, and here we are. They're going to face their first title contender. That's where I think their story ends. Yeah. I, I think that – I personally think that France are very good. I, I have them down as the team to win the tournament. Um, I, I think everyone in the world would love to see a France-Brazil final, like 1998, right? Um, and I think, yeah, you look at – the you look at the, 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 the players that they have, it's actually hard to believe that half their squad is out of injuries. <laughs> it's just so deep. And 
you know, Filippo, I'm, I'm curious about your take here too, and everyone else as well. But Mbappe against Maguire? <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't know if you saw this yet. I don't know if it was a troll tweet, but it was like it was an actual report that Southgate had an anti-Mbappe plan. Oh my and god! I can read it to you because when I I don't Wait, know no, if it's I a, I, re- I tweeted underneath your tweet. Did you see what I tweeted there? I need to see that. But it was <laughs> so. Just so anyone knows the context, this is the report. Gareth Southgate and his staff have an anti-Mbappe plan, and they have preparing it for two years. They've been planning on this for two years. They believe that the best solution to deal with Mbappe is to place an equally dangerous player in front of him to exploit his defensive limitations. Look, first, Mbappe doesn't track back. <laughs> we know that. That's the first thing. Two, you don't have an equally dangerous player in England to Mbappe. You don't Saka? have it. He's not equally as dangerous as Mbappe. Yeah, not yeah. as deadly. Like, um, a g- great player, by the way, Mbappe. But yeah, I see your tweet here. You said, this reminds me of when Joaquin Lowe thought he, it was a good idea to use Tony Cross to mark Pirlo at the Euro 2012. <laughs> <what> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it's like don't overthink it. Don't overthink well, it. the the way you contain Mbappe, well, it's hard to contain Mbappe, but the way you can do it is one, you don't leave space in behind. Once you leave that open field to him, he is fast, dude. He will smoke you. And if and Harry Maguire loves to leave space in behind, and he will not catch up to Mbappe. Neither will Luke Shaw. So the best bet for England is not to sit deep and defend only, but when they lose the ball drop deep don't give Mbappe and Dembele the field that is probably their best bet if they leave space in behind Dembele and Mbappe will just torch the flanks it's over that's their best bet it's not putting an equally dangerous player in front Mbappe's not going to track back it won't matter that's mm-hmm. the truth it won't matter uh but again Maguire leaves that space in behind and it's not just Mbappe Manuel it's it's also Dembele is not Mbappe's level, but I think he has about the same as Mbappe's pace. So that's going to be a problem. Yeah, and I mean, Josh, let's bring you in here as well. As Filippo said, it's not like it's just Mbappe, is it? <laughs> no, it's a rejuvenated Dembele. It's, a, I would say, also a rejuvenated Griezmann who always plays very well for the national team. Mm-hmm. And then I think the, one of the low-key stories of this tournament is the fact that Olivier Giroud, who just broke Terry Henry's record for the most goals for... A, the French men's national team wasn't even going to probably feature in this tournament much, probably just off the bench because Benzema was supposed to be the guy. And then all of a sudden Giroud comes in and he's scoring for fun. The team looks good. They've got a ton of injuries, but I mean, as soon as one goes down, like one Hernandez brother goes down, the other one's there to step up. Uh, it, it's a good, it's a good team. I've enjoyed watching this, this version of France a lot more in my opinion than the 2018 version. I just mm-hmm. think they're, they're a little bit more forward thinking with the way that they're playing. I think having uh, Blaise Matuidi out on the left-hand side threw me off in the 2018 one just because, you know, that's just the way that they approached it. And I just feel like having the pace of of three very informed, fun attacking players and Mbappe doing what he does, they're a dangerous team. And I'm assuming they're they're probably going to take care of England. I I hope they do just because, you know, for Twitter. Um, But yeah, (laughs) I mean... I mean, and, all, and also, look at the, the two CDMs. And I also think this is important to say. Like, Rabio was a player that at one point, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he was left out of the France team and they asked him to come just to be there in case an injury happens. And he said no. And then he had a fallout with the national team. And all of a sudden, Didier Deschamps brings him back in. And he's such an important role. He's playing really well for Juventus. He's lined up with Chouameni. This team is, is, yeah, like, despite 
the injuries, the depth is there and they're playing very well. And they're one of my favorite teams to watch at this tournament so far. Yeah. I yeah. feel like, um, I agree with all of you when it comes to France, I think that they will get through. And I think that Mbappe, Griezmann, Dembele, Giroud will cause way too many problems for that back line that, you know, even Boulegia was really close to, I don't know if it was putting Senegal ahead or equalizing at the time, but he came really close. And I think the movement from Giroud, who has proven to be a master of movement in the box is going to be an issue, but I will give some credit to England here because I think that Kane, Foden, and either Saka or Rashford plus Jude Bellingham joining in the attack has been really, really exciting to watch. And I think that Jude Bellingham, a lot of us forget, I'm most guilty of this, that he's still only 19. And the performances that he has put in to become that important of a player for England already, those overlapping runs, those line-breaking runs that he makes through the midfield, I think that as far as midfielders go at this tournament, he's been right up there with one of the top performing ones. And I think that he's going to be really, really important, you know, with Kane dropping deep and him making those overlapping runs. I think that that's where England could have a chance in transition with Foden and Kane and Bellingham, etc. But other than that, I fully expect France to uh, take care of England because like, like Philippe said, it's not even that they don't have an equally as dangerous player as Mbappe. Mbappe is one of those players who is sort of, beyond tactics sometimes if you know what i mean like you can make up a plan to contain him but he does have that quality to casually pick out both top corners with two strikes against poland you know so you can do all you want to try and hold him down but that pace and uh just his ingenuity sometimes on the ball you can't really account for that sometimes or make a plan to contain it yeah hard to defend really hard to defend so i i, I guess we all still going to to go with with France here then? I am. And if you guys disagree yeah. with that. Yeah, I'm going with France for this one as well. I I, I think that, you know, Eng when it comes to England, like Josh was sort of alluding to, like he hopes that France wins for Twitter's sake. This is the thing is that we've been hearing all about how good England is in these tournaments for a long time. And you look at their run at the 2018 World Cup and all of us have pointed out how that was pretty easy. And now it's finally like, okay, Prove your Choice. worth. Prove how good you are. You're now yeah. going to face a top contender in the World Cup knockout rounds. Let's see if you're as good as you guys say you are. Mm. All right. So it's a few teams out. Um, some head coaches gone. Martinez, uh, Enrique. Uh, who else am I missing, guys? Help me here real quick. Roberto Martinez. Yeah, mentioned him. Oh, uh, and I think the big story was around Hansi Flick. Uh, yeah. Tata Martino. Um, hopefully Greg Tata. Berhalter soon, hopefully. Greg, yeah. Well, Greg is still there for now. I mean, isn't he re renewing well, his contract? Uh, so the reports weren't that true. Like uh, what U.S. Soccer said was like, we're going to reevaluate, think, and talk about it. And and I, look, I can't confirm. I haven't talked to Greg Berhalter, but people like close to his camp Apparently, he wants to go coach club soccer again. So even if they do offer, it doesn't look like he wants to stay. Hmm. Okay. Um, I, I'm surprised Craig Beholder still talks to you, Filippo. Oh, he doesn't <laughs> talk to me. It's not him. Um, but, uh, but it's like people that I know that are close have said multiple times. I mean, I, I said this yesterday. If... Uh, if a club signs Greg Berhalter and gets him out of the national team, I'll become the number one fan of that club and I'll be rooting for Greg at the club level. But just get him out of the national team at this point, um, right. please. What do you think is a realistic level of club for him? 
MLS, but <laughs> but he wants to go to Europe. Apparently, that's what he's been doing the past few years as a coach. Mm. He's been networking in Europe. He tried right in the Swedish second division and didn't go well. But he wants to go to Europe, the club. I mean, look, the MLS it's kind of, is level. Then you can also do Belgium or Netherlands. Or I guess, or... yeah. It also depends because it's so different to coach a club and a national team. Maybe he just works out as a club a club manager, right? Uh, maybe he got better these past few years. Who knows? Uh, depends on the players he has, money. I don't know. I, I think if he goes to a top five league, it'll be a good challenge for him. I'm all for him going. I just don't know if it'll go well. But if it, if he goes, hopefully it does work out. Hopefully he is successful. But I just think his time as the U.S. coach should be done right now. It should be over. Mm. What is what is your thoughts on uh, Hurtman, Josh? I mean, do we actually know he's going to stay until 2026? We, I mean, we think we, so, right? Yeah, like, I mean, it's not it's not confirmed, but I mean, there was a, an interview going around and. Like he said, he he plans on being here, so it's it's not Herman like kind of like Greg maybe not wanting the job. Herman wants to be here, and I, I think I think he's done enough despite maybe not having the getting tactically outdone, I guess, in a couple of the matches here. Mm -hmm. He didn't have the all of the, them. Oh well, I mean the Bel <laughs> no, the I think the Belgium one he had he had it there. It's just that was a good game, and I think it caught a lot of people's attention. The next two they they were flat out failures. He he got it wrong from the off. I, I um, think Aviator's biggest mistake was that quote ahead of the Croatia game. Yeah, and that, and again, and that's not the first time Herbin's done something like that. Um, yeah, and that's that's a bit, you know, it's something that he's got to learn from. You don't want to give more fuel to the fire. And I heard a couple other quotes being like, "If there's one country that you don't want to say something like that to, it's, it's to the Croatians." Um, <laughs> and so, I, I still think, despite all that, I think he's done an incredible job with this program, coming from the women's side to the men's side. I would be very comfortable with him, you know, being here another four years. He he knows the Canadian game inside and out. And he gets the opportunity to to do it on home soil. Uh, I don't know where Canada would would look if Herman ended up moving on. I know that there were rumors a little while ago of like QPR, Burnley, kind of keeping an eye on him. But obviously they they have new managers, so uh, the the worry was maybe Herman would want to go to club level. But it seems he's speaking out that he wants to be here in 2026. And I I can't imagine with the goodwill he's built up over the past two two years or so, I, I'd expect him to be here for 2026. And I think he deserves that shot. Well, and if the Cuba America coming to the States and Canada and Mexico and U.S. being there, you'd think he would take that opportunity as well. Yeah, there's, there's a ton. I mean, the, the two Nations League in the next, like, 2023 and 2025, same as the Gold Cup, the 2024 Copa America. There's rumors to that. There's a potential 2025 tournament of yeah. some. So, like, there is a, a ton to look forward to with this national team that will hopefully give Canada a much better prep for the 2026 World Cup, considering Canada went like almost two years without playing a, a side outside of CONCACAF. So I, I think there's a lot to look forward to. And I think John Herman would probably relish the opportunity to, to take on some of those tournaments. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I guess the next story is, um, I don't know. Do we need to talk any more about Germany? Is that important? You guys want to hear about it? A little bit. Because I, I, heard, I heard some reports that, you know, they were debating what to do with Flick. And all of a sudden, the last couple articles that I read this morning was that he's going to stay. So yeah. I don't know, Emmanuel, if you have obviously anything to... To add to that, but Tuchel was one of the names I heard floating around. Yeah, so like the, the way I pieced it together from what I heard and what I read um, is that you know there was actually quite an amicable meeting um, on Wednesday. Today's Thursday, yeah, Wednesday, um, 
that the with the DFB Bernd Neuendorf, the president of the DFB, the DFB is the German Football Federation, not to be confused with the DFL, which is the Bundesliga. Um, they made some changes there as well this week, which made a lot of headlines, right? Um, but Bernd Neuendorf, the president, and uh, Hansi Flick, and the CEO of Borussia Dortmund, as well as the uh, acting board member of the DFL, Hans-Joachim Watzke, um, and Flick had a meeting uh, on Wednesday where they decided uh, amicably, it was apparently a very positive meeting, that they would continue I think they looked at this and said, we only have 18 months to the Euros that Germany is hosting, right? In 2024, that's not a lot of time. And um, you, this is not a good time to make a coaching change. Um, I think too, with Germany too, and we talked a little bit this about earlier in the podcast, the underlying stats were actually quite good, right? They just couldn't score. <laughs> they just couldn't get the, the ball across the line. And maybe if Jamal Musiala puts that below the crossbar rather than above against Japan, we wouldn't be sitting here. We would have a completely different discussion. Um, so I think they looked at that and they came to the conclusions that maybe they were just a little unlucky um, while also having to, you know, change some of the ways Germany produces talent and, um, you know, also the way players are nominated. I think, Flick will probably not forget to bring a right back next time. Um, that was a big mistake. And maybe start a number nine rather than playing Thomas Müller in that role. Um, so I think that's sort of where they're going with this. And the next 18 months, um, the, the key to the castle from Reigns his. But yeah, that's the latest on Germany. Um, Filippo, do you want to talk about Endrick before we wrap this up? Yeah, we'll go quickly. I feel as it feels like we talked about him quite a bit the past few years. Yeah, uh, and, and you, you helped me with an excellent article that I just posted on Transfermarkt. So thank you for that. And yeah, insight was uh, much appreciated. Yeah, just shared it too on Twitter. Uh, Endrik is the 16-year-old, probably the most expensive 16-year-old ever. I would say. Yes, he yeah. will break the record. Yeah, so they're paying, I guess, 60 million euros plus 12 million added. So a total of 72 million euros for a 16-year-old yeah. that was dominant on his youth years, obviously. Otherwise, they wouldn't pay that. And he came into a grown man league playing for Palmeiras and scored two to three goals this season, if I'm not mistaken, for Palmeiras. Um, I mean, the potential's there. I think it has more to do with the fact that ever since Florentino Perez lost Neymar, he's been really not saving up money in terms of signing young, promising Brazilians. And it worked with Vinicius. It worked with Rodrigo. So I fully expected him to go all in on Hendrik too, and he did. Now, will it work out? Time will tell. I think Real Madrid will be very patient with Hendrik. He's going to get a good He's gonna get a good experience next year. He's going to play for Palmeiras next year. And then you'll have to play again for Palmeiras uh, six months in 2024. As long as Real Madrid is patient with him the same way they were with Vinicius and Rodrigo, the potential is there for this kid. And he's much different from them, too. He's an actual center forward, right? Rodrigo and Vinicius are wingers. We could have a Real Madrid front three at one point with Vinicius, Rodrigo, and Hendrik. We'll see. Um, I, I don't know what their long-term plan with, with Hendrik is. I don't know about him being a Benzema replacement also because Benzema is, what, 34 now? Um how many more years do you think Karim Benzema still has in him? Two, three. Um, I think it's a little too much for an 18-year-old to replace someone at that level. But I don't know what their long-term plan is. But 
uh, I mean, big signing, a lot of money. And overall, I think the biggest winner of this, I don't know if you agree with me, regardless of how good Endrick becomes in the future, the biggest winner of this signing is Palmeiras because they're cashing yeah. in. This amount of money for a Brazilian club is insane, 60 million euros. There's so much they can do with it. And it's here. all going to them, right? It's not like, you know, a lot of times with Brazilian transfers, you see there's like five, six different parties and that own I player. think it's mostly theirs. Obviously, there's like an agent's fee. There's things yeah, like that. No, but they're probably, they're probably keeping like 50 million euros right there because they fully developed this player. He's been Palmeiras for, for a while and he's 16. And, and Real Madrid are paying the taxes, right? Which is the 12 million M top. Exactly. It's like 60 million clean, right? So Palmeiras, to me, are the biggest winners. And they have other players coming out of that academy that Real Madrid and other clubs already want. Giovanni, Estevão. Um, so all these guys coming up that they're talking about, it looks like Palmeiras has really organized their entire club the past few years. They stopped signing superstars. They started to sign reliable players. Uh, one, two Libertadores with it. And they're developing players. Uh, Danilo. The central defensive midfielder is another one that's going to leave soon. He's he's older. He's like 20, turning 21, and he's already proven, at least in South America. Uh, he was even called in for the national team. He's another player that's going to go to Europe very soon. Uh, it looks like Arsenal is going to take him. So um, interesting what they're doing there at the academy, including we have a Canadian in the Palmeiras Academy that you reported on to a while, a while back, which he's called Canada, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but do you think our podcast should maybe get a part of the fee that Endrick got? Because, I mean, we talked about him before. We've been talking about him before anyone even knew who the kid was. They should give us like 10 grand or something, right, out of the 60 million? It's, isn't it 10%? Oh, that would be 600,000. Well, we'd be set no, for be a year. 6 million. <laughs> oh, so, sorry. Yeah, 6 million. They should, if they give us 6 million, we can even like take a year off here in the podcast. We could retire. <laughs> Uh, dude, we don't need. If they give us one percent, we already will be happy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. So if anyone from Palmeiras or Real Madrid listens to this podcast, um, get in touch with touch with Josh. He handles all our finances. And um, Josh, you, you you're ready to take that jack, right? Yeah, I mean it's deserved. This is you. Know, this, <laughs> this is all us. So and and Rick, yeah, you know, just remember, remember when you're when you're when you're big time. Um, that uh, it came from the Unsackable podcast first. Yeah, it did. All right, guys. Um, this was great. It's great being back. Um, I guess we'll do this next, probably after the World Cup, because the games are just so so thick and fast. Um, until then, enjoy the final matches, and, and we'll be back on a more regular schedule once this tournament is wrapped up and we get our lives back. Uh, anything that anyone wants to add before we wrap this up? No, glad, happy to be back here. Hopefully, we get another episode out this year still, and I'm looking forward to, to I'm looking forward to the next World Cup cycle. I think as Concacaf fans, it's gonna be pretty cool. Yeah, lots of things happening. So, yeah, stay tuned. We'll be back soon. Until then, bye bye. <laughs>